I do like to say happy resurrection instead of happy Easter. Weird looks. It's just a victorious time, right? We win. So, you know, they can deal with it a little bit. Um, if you're like my family at all, we had some Easter baskets this morning. I think we did well as parents. I think we had no complaints. But um, I think there was a point where my wife asked me to get something specific for one of my children about a week ago. I said something like, don't worry about it. (laughs) And then, about four days later, she asked me again, you're the one that's supposed to get that for our daughter, right? I said, don't worry about it. Last night, she gently reminded me, you're the one that's going to get that, right? Which, by the way, I passed the test. I did. This is, I saw in your eyes, you thought I was going to forget, and that was going to be the story. It wasn't like that. Okay, I remembered. But the point is, is I was told three times. Why do I say that? Three different times. At least that's recorded in Scripture. Three different times Jesus said he was going to die, be buried, and rise again. To his disciples. And not one of them believed him. Three different times. And that's what's recorded. Who knows what they talked about that's not recorded. And then there was, that was just in plain, uh, I want to say English. He probably wasn't speaking English though. At that moment, he has shared with his disciples that. And then you get the whole discourse of what we have been going through as an assembly over the last couple of weeks. And in there, there's, there's verses that talk about the resurrection. Well, you know what he's implying. Do they know what he's talking about? Three different times. He said, I'm going to die, be buried, and rise again. And not one of them believed him. What stops us from believing in the risen Savior. Because I would say that even as a believer nowadays, the resurrection is that topic. It's that topic that changes our lives. And yes, our actions speak louder than our words. We might say we believe, but when you look at our lifestyles and you see how we conduct our lives, that will show you just how much we believe in a risen Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for rising again. Thank you for conquering death and, and all that that means. Thank you for all the, prof- the prophecies being fulfilled. Thank you that because you rose from the dead, we can take you at your word. Not that we should not have mistrusted you, but my goodness, after rising from the dead, everything you say is true. And you've proven it. Oh Lord, let your spirit... Control me and control us in this room. May this be a powerful day. We want to know, experience the power of the resurrection. Lord, that it would change our lives. Regardless if it's it's cliche to do it on an Easter Sunday morning. Lord, we want change in our lives. We want to be like you. We want to know the risen one. The one that has conquered death. That we might have life and have it abundantly. 
the one that we will be with forever. As mentioned this morning, we thank you so much that you are alive forevermore. Lord, there are so many good things down here on earth that we would love to grasp, cling to, and yet time goes by. We'll never get them back. Life keeps going further and further as we get older and older. And there are certain moments in our lives where we would just like to stay in, and it doesn't happen. And yet you, the very best thing that could have ever happened to us, you are alive forevermore, and you're going nowhere. Thank you. Thank you that you do not get boring, that you do not... Uh, seem to get old, but there is newness and life with you. Thank you for who you are. Be honored and glorified above all during this time. In your name, amen. Today we're going to look at three types of hearts. And these hearts stop them from believing. We will look at a guarded heart that stops someone from believing in the resurrection, a gleeful heart that stopped them from believing, and a grieving heart that stopped her from believing the resurrection. Turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 20. A story that might be famous to us. Starting in verse 24 of John chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A guarded heart stopped Thomas from believing. What does it mean? I think there could be two different things here. The scriptures don't necessarily point this out, but I think uh, it goes with the story. Is Thomas just plain logical? Is Thomas just plain logical? No one has ever risen from the dead on their own accord. And so for him to believe that just goes against all logic. You know, sadly, this reminds me of the people called the Sadducees. In fact, Jesus warned against the leaven of the Sadducees. And the leaven of the Sadducees is basically that, to be too logical in your approach to life. The Sadducees were people that did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or demons or an afterlife. They believed that they were self-sufficient enough to the point of denying God's involvement in everyday life. And by the way, they were made up the Sanhedrin. They were the ones in charge of the temple. That's where the Jewish nation was. <laughs> the people of the Sanhedrin were Sadducees who thought it illogical to have resurrection from the dead, angels, demons, and that God really doesn't have any say. Any say, really, in our everyday life. But they really upheld those first five books of the Old Testament. Their doctrine was off. 
I want us to remind us quickly that your whole faith rests upon the resurrection. And it had never been done before. It will never happen again. Your whole faith is on this moment where one person rises from the dead on his own accord. Yes, others were raised from the dead from Jesus Christ himself, but no one had ever done it by themselves. Is that logical? To have faith, to have true faith is believing that he's a God of miracles, that he rose from the dead. There's another part here, and I think Thomas has a guarded heart. Why? I want to look again at the emotions of Thomas during this time. Thomas gets a bad rap. We've talked about it a lot. He's known as Doubting Thomas throughout history. I want to remind us what he says that will be forever in eternal scriptures. In John chapter 11, verse 16, Jesus is talking again about dying. And he says this, Let us also go that we might die with him. That's what Thomas said. Thomas was willing to die for the Lord. Let's go with him. We'll die with him. Remember in John 14 where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he was discussing these things. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He wanted to know. He was sitting there listening intently to the Lord and said, Listen, Lord, this just isn't making sense for me. I've got to know the way. And I'm willing to go and die for you. I also want you to think, during this Easter time, of how gruesome the cross was. Yes, and that's totally true, and, and it's gruesome for us, but was it at a different level for these disciples that their close friend didn't just die, was brutally murdered? We've had people in our lives that die, sometimes hopefully of old age, sometimes horrible ways to die of cancer. And then there are those that we might know who were brutally murdered, that something horrific happened to them. And the grieving is different. The disciples not only left him and have to deal with all that rejection, but they hear what happened. Do you hear what happened to the man of Nazareth? They plucked his beard and they whipped him and they spat on him. And then they hung him on a cross and they pierced him. Brutal murder. And all those emotions are wrapped up in Thomas. What just happened to a man that he said he was willing to go die with. So when the disciples come back and say, he's here, do you see how he might be a little guarded? He will not open up his heart to the idea that he is alive. Because it just might be too painful. By the way, where was he that first time Jesus came? Every other time you hear about Thomas, he's with the disciples in the New Testament. Where was he that time? Again, I don't know. But I would tell you that I don't think Jesus, by accident, went to the 11. And then went, oh, Thomas isn't here? I don't think that happened. 
Is there a possibility that Thomas wasn't trying to hang with the disciples? Because it was just too much. It was just too much. When Thomas said, I won't believe, unless I put my hand in his side and my finger in the imprint. Guys, that's, that's something we kind of grew up with in Sunday school. That's, that's a strong statement. That's gross. That's gross. Thomas did not sit there and say, unless I see him, I won't believe. Thomas said, oh, no, I'm going to go further. Unless I put my hand in that flesh wound, I'm not going to believe. He's saying it maybe possibly out of pain. I will not believe unless I can physically touch that brutal death. My heart's guarded. My heart is guarded. Do you know there are those of us that again believe in a risen Savior but still have guarded hearts for letting Him have complete control of our lives? We've been hurt different ways by different people, by what you think might be the Lord hurting you, which I would challenge you is not correct. <laughs> Maybe other people in the church hurt you, you're probably correct. Okay? Guarded hearts. I will accept it, but I'm not going to go all in. Because the emotions of it all are too raw. Theodore Roosevelt said this. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives violently, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is not effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself on a worthy cause? Who at best knows in the end the triumphs of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. The risen Savior, in the book of Romans 6.11, says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God, in Christ Jesus. Guys, the resurrection reminds us we got to go out there and live. You got to go out there and live and experience all of the emotions of that, of putting your heart out on the line and God proving himself faithful, of maybe getting hurt by others, by what Jesus said. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And do we dare go out and say, okay, okay, just like Thomas did, we're willing to go die with you. But when push came to shove, they were all gone. And the risen Savior reminds us, hey, he died that we might live. we got to live. Even if it means we get beat up a little bit. Even if we suffer. Even if it means our hearts are in a little bit of turmoil. We live. We live for the Lord. There was a gleeful heart. That stopped them from believing. This one is interesting. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 
Luke chapter 24. We'll start in verse 36. Now as they said to these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. He took and ate in their presence. What does that mean? Let's read it again. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? Have you ever been told good news so good you say something like, stop it, I don't believe it? Haven't we ever said that? We'd like to take you to Disney World. Stop it. I don't believe it. Don't mess with me on that one. (laughs) Do you remember the horrible news of 1992 when the Houston Oilers were up 35-3 to in the third quarter? of the Buffalo Bills. It was an AFC championship game, 35-3. to Many people turned their TVs off. They didn't want to see it. Somehow they woke up the next day and heard it was the greatest comeback in football history. The game went into overtime, and the Bills actually won. They scored 28 points in the third quarter. And I would imagine there was many people going, don't believe it and yet if you were a Bills fan you were extremely joyful you were happy beyond but you still couldn't wrap your mind around the fact of what just happened I really can't relate because none of my sports teams do this I keep waiting for the day where we have a comeback. But I will tell you what's interesting is if the fans of the Buffalo Bills said, I don't believe it, and yet they're kind of sitting there and they're so happy, and they go, okay, it looks like we came back, but the next Sunday they don't watch the Super Bowl. How foolish are they? The disciples really are just in the emotion of it all. They're just so happy. Is, is Jesus really here? Like, what? Yeah. what's going on? And it's not a sad thing. They're rejoicing. They're overwhelmed. They're, they're amazed going, I cannot be seeing him, but he's right here in front of me. And Jesus in his mercy and grace goes, do you want me to eat something? I mean, that's basically the way the, way the passage reads. Okay, guys, do you need me to eat something? You can touch me. It's me. And, and it says they don't believe, like, they can't wrap their mind around it. Is it bad if they just stay in that moment and they're just happy? 
they don't really believe that he rose from the dead. Is it okay to just stay in that moment and just be happy, just be joyful? There's so many of us that want Easter Sunday to be nothing but joy and gladness and don't want every single part of the story. They just want to sit in the joyful part. He rose again. We get eternal life. Paul would write in Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here's what commentary I loved on this portion. It says this, when Paul says, I want to know him, it means I want to be with him. But when he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, it means I want to be just like him. I'm going to read it again. When Paul says, I want to know him, it means I want to be with him. But when he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, it means I want to be just like him. And then afterwards it says, and I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. A gleeful heart, their joy overwhelming, Scripture would say, stop them from the very next part that they had to take. We believe that you are the Son of God, because no one rises from the dead. And they need to solidify that right there. In Acts 17, verses 30 through 31, it says this, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, that's Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given us assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Listen, guys, Resurrection Sunday means judgment's coming. That's what that means. It means life to the believer. It also means that Jesus Christ is now Son of God, was always, but you'll read about it in a verse... Declared now Son of God and able to judge. He has conquered sin and death. He is able to judge. He has earned that right through the resurrection. And judgment's coming. That's part of the resurrection story. There's a story that goes about a small frontier town where a horse bolted and ran away with a wagon carrying a little boy. Seeing the child in danger, a young man risked his life to catch the horse and stop the wagon. The child who was saved grew up to become a lawless man. And one day he stood before a judge to be sentenced for a serious crime. The prisoner recognized the judge as the man who had years before saved his life. So he pled for mercy on the basis of that experience. But the words from the bench silenced his plea. Young man, then I was your savior. Today I am your judge. I must sentence you. Interesting. Guys, the joy of Easter is that he has conquered death and rose again. But if you don't believe him, 
If you do not accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you're going to hell. And it's a resurrection that will give Him every right and authority to judge you properly. Finally, a grieving heart. Turn back to John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple were going to the tomb. They ran, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head and lying with the linen and the clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping as she wept and stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. A grieving heart would stop Mary from believing. How is it that she missed the angels? How is it that she missed that one of the disciples started to believe? How does she not recognize Jesus and not realize that Jesus is standing in front of her? You could sit there and say his body was changed after crucifixion and all those things. But I would like to just say part of the story is she's grieving. She stands outside by the tomb, weeping. And she is in such distraught that when she sees two angels, and let's just say maybe she thinks they're men in white. Why is there two guys in white in the tomb where Jesus was laid? That doesn't weird her out at all. There had to be some kind of dialogue between Peter and John and her. And they're going back. And John is the one that believed. There had to been some kind of dialogue where John says, I believe that he rose from the dead. And now there's two men standing in white. Her grief won't allow her to see what's happening in the situation.
to the point again where she is talking with the risen Savior of the world and thinks he's a gardener in the tomb, in the garden. You think grief did that to her? Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song, Because He Lives. I want to show you what was happening when they wrote this song. It says, Gloria wrote the lyrics when she was heavily pregnant with her third child. Like many beautiful and powerful songs, the lyrics were written through personal hardship and difficulty. At the end of her pregnancy, Gloria was caring for her husband, Bill, who was recovering from illness. There was significant social and economic hardships in the country at that time. And the idea of bringing a child into the world during this time was causing anxious and anxiety to Gloria. During that time, God graced Gloria with an unexpected, gentle, calming peace. She recalls the experience as if God, like an attentive mother, bending over her baby, saw his child and came to her rescue. Panic gave way to calmness and an assurance that only the Lord can impart. She was assured that the future would be sure because she was in God's hands. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Listen. Grief, if not done properly, can cause you to miss out on a lot. If this morning you are grieving your own sin, praise the Lord. But remember, He was raised for our justification. That's what the Bible says. Don't sit there and wallow in your grief over your sin to the point where you forget the risen Savior has been raised that you might be completely justified. Do you have grief of losing loved ones. Don't let it blind you from the fact that 1 Corinthians would say, now death, where is your sting? That there is hope for the believer in seeing loved ones again, all through the risen Savior. Do you grieve expectations not being met in your own life? That life didn't pan out the way you wanted it to. You don't have the right friends. You don't have the right church. There's grieving in your life. It's not fair. It wasn't supposed to be this way. There's hope. Because He lives, we will live. That heaven is coming. The risen Savior allows us to put to death our grief. And rejoice in the Lord. And say, hallelujah, what a Savior. In His presence is fullness of joy. And as was read this morning, He is alive forevermore. That means forever. We can be in the presence and have fullness of joy forever. That's the promise to the believer because of the risen Savior. I'm not downplaying your grief. I'm not downplaying your exuberant joy. I'm not downplaying your logic. I'm saying, don't let it stop you from believing. 
Don't let it halt you to that one more point where you have to just go a little deeper in your faith and say, God, I just want to be in your presence, whatever that means, because you're alive. You're alive. Finally, I will tell you this. As we've looked at these three situations that might have stopped belief in the risen Savior. Matthew 28 and verse 17. Let's start in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Listen, this morning... If you can't relate to any one of those hearts that I talked about, okay. But this covers everyone in the room. I don't know why they doubted. I have no idea. Seems weird to me. Seems illogical. The Savior of the world crucified, rose against, was seen by the disciples, was seen by 500. All that stuff. They have seen and walked with Him and talked with Him. And in this verse it says, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubt it i don't know why and i have no idea why you're doubting and i have no idea why i doubt the savior at times because it doesn't make sense but i'm telling you the resurrection says stop doubting and believe stop doubting in first corinthians 15 it says so it is written the first man adam became a living being the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. You want life, it's in the risen Savior. Stop doubting and take him for all that he says he is. A life-giving spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Uh, it's again, reading these stories time and time again, that I'm just completely amazed that you didn't just wipe out the disciples. You didn't make them do some kind of penance. You didn't make them just, just beg for forgiveness. Something. Something that would make it look a little fair. Lord, thank you so much for paying it all. That you were a God and are a God whose desire is to give us life that you rose from the dead, that we might have life, knowing we would doubt and have unbelief, and yet you would still go through it all. Thank you so much for doing all the work. In your name, amen.